human beings have a, a need for belonging and acceptance. Uh, that need drives how we interact with others. Sometimes in unhealthy responses to that need, it can uh, give us unhealthy motivations of trying to earn someone's acceptance or trying to avoid someone's rejection. That desire doesn't only impact our relationships with other human beings, it can also impact how we interact with God. With the need for acceptance, sometimes in an unhealthy response, we can think, well, then if I do all these right things, then God's going to accept me. Or if I avoid all these wrong things, then he's not going to reject me. That's why the study of the gospel is so important for us. That's why reminding ourselves of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has accomplished for us is so important. It corrects that part of our heart that can be tempted to think we have to earn God's acceptance. Today, we're going to be looking at rejection Uh, But what we're going to see in the text today is the rejection of Jesus Christ. We've been walking through the Gospel of Luke, and we are uh, in the final weeks that we'll be looking at uh, the message of Luke's Gospel. And there are lots of overlapping themes uh, in these these last few weeks that we're going to see, because what we've seen is that Christ is now taking on punishment. Christ is taking things that we deserve in order to offer us something else, in order to offer us life, in order to offer us acceptance. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today, the rejection of Christ that offers us acceptance, the greatest acceptance that we need, which is acceptance from God. So our sermon is titled, Jesus the Rejected Savior. Turn with me to Luke 22. I'm going to read verse 39 to 71 and pray for us. He went out and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he told them, Pray that you might not fall, that you may not fall into temptation. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, and began to pray. Father, if you're if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Being in anguish, he prayed more fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he got up from prayer and came to the disciples, he found them sleeping Exhausted from their grief. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. While he was still speaking, suddenly a mob came, and one of the twelve, named Judas, was leading them. He came near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him saw what was going to happen, they asked, Lord, Should we strike with the sword? Then one of them struck the high priest's 
servant and cut off his right ear. But Jesus responded, no more of this. And touching his ear, he healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priest, temple police and the elders who had come for him, have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal? Every day while I was with you in the temple, you never laid a hand on me. But this is your hour and the dominion of darkness. They seized him, led him away, and brought him into the high priest's house. Meanwhile, Peter was following at a distance. They lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together. Peter sat among them. When a a servant saw him sitting in the light and looked closely at him, she said, this man was with him too, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. After a little while, someone else saw him and said, you're one of him, one of them too. Man, I am not, Peter said. About an hour later, another kept insisting, this man was certainly with him since he's also a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. The men who were holding Jesus started mocking and beating him. After blindfolding him, they kept asking, Prophesy! Who was it that hit you? And they were saying many other blasphemous things to him. When daylight came, the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the scribes, convened and brought him before their Sanhedrin. They said, If you are the Messiah, tell us. But he said to them, If I do tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. They all asked, Are you then the Son of God? And he said to them, You say that I am. Why do we need any more testimony, they said, since we have heard it ourselves from his mouth? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word, and we confess it is true. We ask that you remind us again of the Savior that has been given for us. We ask that you amaze us again at your grace that has been demonstrated through the sacrifice that Jesus was willing to take in order to rescue us. Help us believe. Help our lives be changed. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So as we work our way through this text concerning the rejection of Jesus that we see here, uh, I want to point out several uh, things that are happening and how those relate to what Jesus Christ has done for us today. The first thing that we see, Jesus faced rejection to accomplish God's will. Jesus faced rejection to accomplish God's will. In these first verses in this section, starting with 39, uh, if you remember last week, uh, Jesus had celebrated the Passover with his disciples. He had uh, 
he had told them about what was taking place. He let them know he was being betrayed by someone at that table. He gave them some final instructions, and we pick up there in this text. And so in this first thing, we're going to be reminded that this was all part of God's will. He was accomplishing the will of God, which was going to bring about the salvation of many. So verse 39, he went out and made his way, as usual, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he told them, pray that you may not fall into temptation. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and began to pray, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Being in anguish, he prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he got up from prayer and came to the disciples, he found them sleeping, exhausted from their grief. Why are you sleeping? he asked them. Get up and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. Two times in this section, Jesus tells the disciples to pray. And it's interesting, he tells them to pray for themselves. Jesus knows what he's going to endure. He's been telling them about it. He knows the betrayal that's about to take place. He knows what is going to happen. He's already told them previously in the gospel, he's going to be mocked, he's going to be beaten, he's going to give up his life. And he knows that the hour has come. And it's interesting that he doesn't say, pray for me. He says, pray for yourselves that you won't fall into temptation. Just a reminder of his care for his followers. That when he is about to endure the worst that this world has to offer, he knows what his disciples are going to endure. He knows the temptation that's going to come. The temptation to run, the temptation to deny, the temptation to walk away from it all because it's too hard. And he says, pray for the strength. Pray for strength because you, you are about to endure great temptations. And then Jesus is going to begin to pray for himself. And he asks the Father, if it's possible... Take this cup from me. If, it's, if there's any other way that people could be saved, let's do that now. If there's any way that I do not have to endure what is coming, please stop it. When he says, when he makes a reference to the cup, take this cup from me, that's a reference to scriptures in the Old Testament. The Old Testament talks about the cup of God's wrath that will be poured out. The cup of God's wrath that's going to be poured out on the wicked. And remember, we've been talking about Jesus Christ is going to take the sins of the world on himself. Scripture in the New Testament says he actually became sin. And he is going to endure the wrath of God in our place. 
And so he's referencing that Old Testament uh, truth and teaching about the wrath of God that's going to be poured out on the wicked because he is about to endure that in our place. And he's saying to the Father, from a human standpoint, I do not want to have to go through this. Knowing what he's about to endure, he says, if there's any way that they can be saved other than this, but he's not willing to abandon God's will, even though he doesn't want to endure the wrath that's about to be poured out on him. He says, not my will, Father, but yours. He was willing to go through the worst of things in order to accomplish God's will, which included our salvation, our rescue, not my will, but yours. I will do what you have asked. Now, we don't get God's answer directly in Scripture here, but it's obvious that the answer is there is no other way. This is the only way that they can be saved. For a perfect sacrifice to lay down his life in their place. And God sends an angel to strengthen Jesus for what he is about to go through. And it says that he continues to pray more fervently. So much so that he starts to sweat. And it is, he is sweating so profusely in agony He says in one of the other Gospels that records him saying that he is in agony to the point of death. The thought of taking on the wrath of God is almost killing him as he prays in the garden. And it says that he is pouring sweat off of his body that looks like drops of blood hitting the ground. Why would he do this? Why would Jesus go through this? Remember, He's perfect. He has done nothing wrong. He's been perfectly obedient. Why would He endure the wrath of God? He did it to accomplish the will of God. He did it to take our place in order to rescue us. We've referenced Isaiah 53 multiple times Look at it again this morning. 700 years before Jesus, the prophet Isaiah speaks about what God is going to do through his promised Messiah, which here is referred to as the suffering servant. And so in Isaiah 53, verse 3, we see this. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and didn't value him. Skipping down to verse 6, we all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. And verse 12, therefore I will give him the many as a portion and he will receive the mighty as a spoil because he willingly submitted to death And was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sins of many. And interceded for the rebels. God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. Says this is what my Messiah is going to do. This is what the suffering servant is going to do. God is going to send someone who is going to be rejected. 
who was going to stand place in the place of the rebels, in the place of the wicked. And he was going to do so so that he could bear their sins, so that he could bear the sins of the wicked, so that he could intercede for them. Jesus faced this rejection in order to accomplish God's will, which included rescuing you and me. The next thing we see in this text back in Luke is this. Jesus faced rejection so his enemies could be healed. Jesus faced rejection so his enemies could be healed. Verse 47 to 53. While he was still speaking, suddenly a mob came, and one of the twelve, named Judas, was leading them. He came near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him saw what was going to happen, they asked, Lord, should we strike with the sword? Then one of them struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. But Jesus responded, no more of this. And touching his ear, he healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, temple police, and the elders who had come for him, Have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal? Every day while I was with you in the temple, you never laid a hand on me. But this is your hour and the dominion of darkness. Jesus faced rejection so his enemies could be healed. The question to Judas wasn't a question like he didn't know. Remember, he was aware of the betrayal. But it was identifying the betrayal and the depth of uh, the insult there. That Judas would come to him with this mob and then he would come up and kiss him as if he was in close relationship with him. The sign of a kiss Uh, Not romantic kiss, but the sign of a kiss between two individuals was one of deep affection and care. And yet Judas is going to use that as part of his betrayal. That the one that he would kiss is going to be who they needed to arrest. And so Jesus identifies Judas's betrayal. Now last week we saw in the teaching that... Jesus told his disciples uh, they needed to be prepared. He said, if you don't have everything you need, you need to get that. So you need to have your money bag. You need to have your traveling bag. And if you don't have a sword, you should sell your robe. And they said, we have two. And he said, that's enough. And so the disciples, seeing what has happened, seeing this mob show up in the middle of their prayer time, realizing the, the betrayal that he was just telling us about. And they ask, is, is it time? Is it time for battle? Do we strike with sword now, Jesus? And they don't wait for a response. We learn in John's Gospel that it's Peter. Peter draws his sword and swings immediately ready to take off the head of the nearest person. And he hits the side of his head and slices off the ear of Malchus. John's Gospel tells us his name. Malchus, the high priest's servant, has his ear sliced off. But Jesus immediately puts an end to this. It's not time to fight. Remember, he is willing to die. 
in our place. So he says, no more of this. And it amazes me what he does. The high priest servant is amongst the enemies. He's one of the ones who is there to arrest him. And Jesus heals him. He takes the ear and heals him, fully restores him. Imagine a Savior that would do that for his enemies. And of course, that's who our Savior is. That's what Jesus has done with us. He then is going to turn to the chief priest and the rest of the crowd after healing this enemy that was amongst them. And he's going to confront them. He's going to say, are you, like, are you truly going to come out against me like I'm a criminal? You're going to come out in the night? Come out with swords and clubs? I've been in the temple every day. And you did nothing. But now you're acting like I'm a criminal. And then he's going to identify their heart, their motivation. This is your hour. This is the domain of darkness. You are part of darkness. You're not part of the light. You work in darkness. This is the realm that Satan works. And this is where you belong. Is in the dark. Remember, some of us, if we grew up in church, we may not think of ourselves this way, but we are all, in a sense, enemies of God outside of Jesus Christ. And so what has happened in this scene where Christ heals his enemy is a reminder of what he's done for you and me if you've trusted in Jesus Christ. Romans 5, verse 10, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by His life? We are all sinners, and because of that, we are all enemies of God outside of Jesus. And yet, God has healed us. God has made a way for us to be children of God, even though we were enemies. Jesus faced this rejection so that enemies could be healed and restored. The third thing we see is this. Jesus faced rejection so those who fail could repent and be restored. Jesus faced rejection so those who fail could repent and be restored. The portion of the text, all of this is important reminders I think this portion of the text is certainly an uh, 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 important reminder, an important lesson for Christians to see what happens here. Verse 54 to 62. They seized him, led him away, and brought him to the high priest's house. Meanwhile, Peter was following at a distance. They lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together. And Peter sat among them. When a servant saw him sitting in the light and looked closely at him, she said, this man was with him too. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. After a little while, someone else saw him and said, you're one of them too. Man, I am not, Peter said. And about an hour later, another 
kept insisting. This man was certainly with him, since he's also a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Immediately, while he was speaking, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Remember, Peter told Jesus earlier in the night, we saw this last week if you were here, Peter told Jesus earlier in the night, I'm, I'm ready to go to prison with you. I'm ready to die at your side if that's what it takes. And Peter meant that. He wasn't lying to Jesus. We can see that in the fact that Peter's the one that drew the sword. He truly was ready to go to battle for Jesus. But as the night went on, when Jesus stopped the fighting and said, We're not, it's not time for that. And as Jesus is taken into the high priest's house, Peter's commitment starts to fail. Fear wells up in Peter. He wants to see what's happening with Jesus. But what Jesus has said is going to happen does happen. And so we see three times Peter's given the opportunity to declare his loyalty to Jesus, to declare his connection to Jesus. And three times Peter fails his Lord. Three times Peter denies even knowing his Lord. Peter warming himself by the fire and three different individuals say, wait a second, you're with him. You're one of him, right? And, and Peter, every time, says, no, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And the third denial, just as Jesus had told him, before the third denial is even completely out of his mouth, the rooster crows. And Jesus, we don't know how far away he was. We don't know that Peter even knew that Jesus knew he was there. But Jesus looks over and makes eye contact with Peter. And Peter, that broke him. He went out into the darkness weeping bitterly because he had failed. He had failed in his commitment to Jesus. Just a few hours before, he was so committed, so willing to die for his Savior. And now he has nothing left to give. And he's denied even knowing him. And he is weeping bitterly. Now it's important for us to know that look from Jesus over to Peter was not just an I told you so. See, I told you you would fail. I told you you wouldn't be with me. He was reminding him of that. But Jesus is reminding him of the whole conversation. And he'll remind him again of that. Because remember, before Peter 
said that he was going to go to go to prison or even death with him before Jesus told him that he was going to deny him three times. We see this. We looked at it last week. Verse 31 and 32. Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. When you've come back, you're going to fail me, Peter. You're going to deny me. Your commitment is going to waver. It's going to happen. But when you come back, I'm not through with you. I have work for you to do. I will restore you. We see the rest of the reminder after Jesus' resurrection. We won't turn there. It's in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 21. Peter and some of the disciples are out on a boat. And they see someone at the shore who tells them where they should cast out their nets. And Peter realizes it's the Lord. It's the resurrected Savior. And he dives in the water and swims to shore to see the resurrected Jesus. And Jesus, again, is going to remind him of that conversation, remind him of the denial, and remind him of the work that he has for him. John's Gospel does an interesting thing with that story. Peter, on the night of the denial, was warming himself by a charcoal fire. It says so. John's Gospel points out that Jesus when he's about to have this conversation to restore Peter, John's Gospel says again, Jesus had made a charcoal fire. And at that charcoal fire, he is going to remind Peter and give Peter the opportunity to be restored, give Peter the opportunity to declare his love for the Savior and his commitment to the Savior and remind him he has work for him to do. Because he says, do you love me, Peter, while they sit around that fire? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And he tells him, then then feed my sheep. And later on, do you love me? You know I love you, Lord. Then shepherd the sheep. And then a third time, Jesus was restoring Peter The one who failed him. The one who denied him. And Jesus was giving him the opportunity to repent and the opportunity to be restored to the mission that he had for him. And that's such good news for us. Because we all fail him. Every follower of Jesus will fall short. No, we may not face the same kind of like I I actually denied knowing him, but we fail him. We are sinners. We miss the mark. We sin grievously at times. And it's good news to know that we have a Savior that doesn't write us off. We have a Savior that doesn't say, okay, you didn't make the mark, so I'm done with you. We have a Savior who faced rejection So that people who fail, like me and like you, could repent and be restored.
the fourth thing we see is this. Jesus faced rejection because we needed someone to stand in our place. Jesus faced rejection because we needed someone to stand in our place. We're the guilty ones. We are the sinners. Christ is innocent. But we needed a sacrifice in our place. Starting in 63, the men who were holding Jesus started mocking and beating him. After blindfolding him, they kept asking, prophesy, who was it that hit you? And they were saying many other blasphemous things to him. When daylight came, the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the scribes, convened and brought him before their Sanhedrin. They said, if you're the Messiah, tell us. But he said to them, if I do tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. They all asked, are you then the Son of God? And he said to them, you say that I am. Why do we need any more testimony, they said, since we've heard it ourselves from his mouth. Christ is standing in our place. According to Jewish law, they couldn't hold a trial in the night. So they had to wait until daytime. And the guards who held Jesus decided to fill their hours with some cruel, horrendous games. Mocking Him, spitting on Him, hitting Him, and saying all kinds of blasphemous things about Him. They blindfold Him. Oh, you're a great prophet of God? Then who hit you? Who was it that time, Jesus? He knew, of course. But he kept silent and endured their abuse because he was going to stand in your place and in my place. And so after hours of torture and abuse and blasphemy, daylight comes. And they call together the Sanhedrin, which was a council of the elders and the chief priest, in many times it functioned kind of like a supreme court for the nation of Israel. And they call together the Sanhedrin early hours of the morning. And they get straight to it. Remember, they're wanting to find a way to turn him over to Rome. They don't have the power, because they're under the oppressors of Rome, they don't have the power to carry out execution. But if they can get information that will harm him in Rome's eyes, they can hand him over and say, this is the guy that you should kill. And so they think, well, if we can just get him to confess that he's a king, then we'll turn him over to Rome. And so they say, tell us, are you the Messiah? That's it. Just yes or no. Are you the Messiah? Are you the promised one? Because the Messiah was supposed to rule on David's throne. Jesus doesn't answer them directly first. He points out that they don't truly want to know. They've hardened their hearts towards the truth of the answer. He says, if I told you, you wouldn't believe me. And if I asked you, you wouldn't confess it. 
But he doesn't stop there because he's going to make the declaration that's necessary for him to stand in our place. And so he says in verse 69, from, nine, from now on the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Son of Man being a title referencing back to Daniel. And they know what he's claiming here. That he's claiming to be the promised Messiah. When he claims to be sitting at the right hand of the power of God, he's claiming to hold a position that no other man holds. That he could actually sit at the right hand of God. And they said, so then are you saying you're the son of God? And Jesus answers them, you say that I am. Now that's not, they of course haven't said that. But in Greek, what the, the phrase you say that I am actually means is you're right in saying that I am. You've made the correct assessment. You've made the right statement that I am saying I'm the Son of God. And so here we see Luke tying together these three titles for Jesus. The Christ or the Messiah, the, the Son of Man and the Son of God. And if it's not true, that's blasphemy. And that's what they are going to use He's blasphemed. He's declared himself to be the Son of God. We can say he's claiming to be the Messiah. Let's kill him. Rome, you should take him out. But of course, it is true. And so it's not blasphemy for Jesus to make this declaration. But the religious leaders have rejected his claim. And they have the testimony needed to hand him over to Rome. But remember, that rejection was endured in order to take our place. Rejection is something that none of us want to face. Today we've been reminded of our Savior who endured rejection in order that we could find acceptance. We're reminded of how far God was willing to go in order to accept us. Those who deserve rejection, because of, our, because of who we are, because of how we live, we actually deserve the rejection of God. And yet God loved us so much that He sent Jesus, His Son, to endure rejection and to take the punishment that we, endure, that we should have endured so that we could be brought in as sons and daughters of God. If you're here today and you have not trusted in Jesus, you have not put your faith in Jesus, know that the acceptance of God is not anything you can earn. There's not anything you can do in order to receive that acceptance. There's not anything you can avoid that would stop you from facing rejection from Him. But God loved you so much that He sent Jesus to take your place, so that if you would just believe in Him, you would be saved and brought into the family of God. If you want to know more about that, please don't wait another day. Talk to me after the service or one of our elders or ministry leaders, we would love to share more about the gospel and the life that's available because of Jesus. Church, for us, 
we've been reminded we have a Savior in Jesus who faced rejection in order that we could be healed, who faced the most horrific things in this rejection so that we could be granted repentance, so that we could be restored back to God. We have a rejected Savior who stood in our place and died the death that we deserved, faced the rejection that we deserved so that God would accept us. That's the depth of God's love for us, church. So let's remember our Savior. And this week, let's walk in the acceptance that He has purchased for us. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your love. Jesus, thank You for Your commitment. Your commitment to accomplish the will of God that would allow us to be rescued from our sins. Help us believe and help us live lives changed, God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.